Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Huradene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. My good friend Carrie is sitting here like, what in the fuck is happening? Is it <laughs> Carrie like K or? It's a K. K-E-R-R-Y. I can make everybody angry and like the other one is Kari, not Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> it is a different name. Yeah. Dude, 17. Thanks, Stephen King. Okay. Stephen King. Yeah, he totally ruined my name. Really? Mm-hmm. How come? Because Carrie uh, is Carrie, K E R R Y. Not C A R R I E. Not that's Kari. If you go anywhere in the UK, in Britain, in Ireland, mm-hmm. it's like I have a flag. I have my name in Gaelic and in English. So. Um, in the Gaelic, it's, I think, C-A-I-R-I-A or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then in Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y. C-A-R-R-I-E, if you actually were to look at it and pronounce it without thinking about the whore or Carrie, yeah. it's Kari. It's Did you just call Carrie a whore? Well, I don't know the whore That movie. poor sissy SpaceX, <laughs> eh? Was that sissy SpaceX? That poor whore. <laughs> no, I heard you. I'm just kidding. It was horror. <laughs> Seen the pain of my existence, can you tell? Yeah, no doubt. I, I love that movie. I even like the remake of it. Yeah, actually. it's a great yeah. movie. It's a great book. Like, mm-hmm. the book but was yeah, too. they pronounced, yeah. they, they yeah. totally hooped me for my name. Reminds me of that movie Office Space where like, Michael Bolton. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, oh, there's a guy Any relation? His name is Michael Bolton, and everybody's like, oh, you must love Michael Bolton. And he's like, no, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, okay. that ass clown. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Kari ruined my name. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about it. I've gotten over it over the years, but <laughs> yeah, no. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I I I'm pretty sure I observed you looking for a weapon on your belt. Yeah, I <laughs> pretty sure you were wondering if you brought your concealed weapon with you. Um, <laughs> So this is, so far, this is the best way we've started an episode, I think, ever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, My longtime and close friend Carrie is here to share her story with us. And so I will not talk anymore at all, ever. You are now (laughs) on the spot. I'm just kidding. She's turning bright red. She's like so Irish. (laughs) She's so Irish, it's unbelievable. (laughs) And she has the wonderful Irish red hair and now the red face to boot. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super nervous, but I will do my best to be here without being like completely nervous and a big cherry, obviously. You can be all those things. David pointed out how much I blush because <laughs> I'm like super fair Irish. So mm-hmm. like, 
I was once, uh, I was teased that I have more colors on me and I turn more colors than anybody they've known because of all the different like freckle colors I have, the different shades of like pink to white to red <laughs> that I go, like every color possible. So, but um, it, it nice makes it fun to f try to figure out what you're thinking. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's kind of like a sport. <laughs> shade of Carrie is she today? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever shade it is, it's a wonderful shade, Carrie. That's awesome. And that is not Kari, that's Carrie. That is Carrie. <laughs> Carrie Mary. Car oh, geez. Now we're getting biblical. Now Carrie we're getting and biblical. Mary. Oh, my name is totally like Irish biblical, right? From is the it? beginning, yeah. Um, my mom wanted to call me Mary, which is, my, you know, my mom is an immigrant from Ireland. And um, she immigrated here in 67 mm. um, to marry my father. And actually, she had been here before, and she left. She went back to Ireland to be with her family. Mm. And my dad actually returned, went back to Ireland, and brought her back. Oh, okay. And so that's how she ended up coming and staying here. And she still is a landed immigrant. She mm. will, not, will not take um, allegiance to the Queen. So very Southern Irish in that I don't way. blame her. No, <laughs> I no, but I really don't blame her. Like the allegiance to the queen shit is a bunch of BS. But yeah, and she's sorry. like, no, she's like, I do yeah. not need to pledge allegiance to the monarchy. And you know, when you go back into the uh, the Irish history and all that happened, mm. I can't blame them. Like these were people that were crucified and enslaved and killed and tortured mm. and fought dearly for their freedom. And, you know, in many ways, they still fight for it today mm -hmm. when you look at Northern Ireland and even Belfast, what's going on there now with the Brexit. And, and you know, so I can't blame my mom. She's been here a long time and she still holds strong to that, mm -hmm. that culture and that, that people and in many ways, the way of life, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, but she wanted to name me Mary. It's a family name. And um, Mary Margaret specifically. And my dad's like, yeah, but everybody has that name. And it's so like Catholic Irish. <laughs> So my mom's like, all right, well, we'll just put Carrie in the front of it for County Carrie. Yeah. And we're good to go. So Carrie Mary Margaret is, is the name that I was given. So that's your middle name? Mary and Margaret, yeah. I did not know that. No, I did, didn't you? No. Yeah. Carrie no. Mary Margaret. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. <laughs> that's very Irish too. Very. Yeah. Most people, once they read it or they say it, yeah. they can generally guess. That I was raised, that I was raised Irish, mm -hmm. and that that is my lineage. So, yeah. and I'm totally proud of it. Like I am a very happy, mm -hmm. very proud Irish person. I wouldn't, and Canadian. You know, it's interesting. There's these debates of what Canadian is anymore. But mm -hmm. um, I am both. I was born and raised here. Mm -hmm. um, I am the fourth child in my family. I have three older brothers. Um, and I, my parents still live actually in the same house that I was. I was brought to as a child, mm -hmm. right? They lived there before um, I was born. And you know, it's interesting, you go back to this area, and I never thought an area of a city would be so impactful, right? Especially when you go through so many ups and downs in life. But there's some kind of draw, like mm -hmm. even when I go there today, of almost 40 years of a lifetime, like every mm -hmm. memory, every creation, development, good, bad, is engulfed in this little like cubicle of you know four six seven mm -hmm. um and how much of my life happened there yeah. right and what created me and still to this day impacts me mm -hmm. greatly right because as you know i'm very close to my parents yeah. and you know it's interesting as um 
as you asked me to do this and share my story, it's like, where do you begin in a story and where mm -hmm. do you end in a story? And where do those players fit? Mm -hmm. And some of those players can go from like highly influential and what they do for you is out of love. But yet, sometimes it hurts you so deeply. Mm -hmm. And so where do you place these people in your story? Where That's do you, a good question. Where do you talk about them? Do you talk about them in this beautiful light and of like my parents, like I, I adore them. Um, my dad, no matter what, was a rock. Mm -hmm. But he's also, and he would lovingly say it, a rock that is a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And I was raised in a bubble in many ways. I was raised uh, Catholic. I was raised proper. Um, and some of those things, and I've talked to my mom about that bubble, that I think when I finally hit reality in my 20s, mm -hmm. And I got a little taste of freedom. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. And I was the most prudent person. And you would never think this, but I was. And I'll, I, I can show an example. I was at a bar once. And somebody was, um, was just going to, they were having a beer. And they were smoking some marijuana. And I just reamed them out that I couldn't believe they were such a bad person. And as I sat there, or sat here today, and I think of all that I've been through to go from that mentality mm -hmm. to, I want to say the word falling into an addiction, because mm -hmm. I don't think you walk into an addiction. I think you fall. And I think sometimes it is the slipperiest slope that you don't even realize. You mm -hmm. just stepped on. And you're going down it, and you don't realize you're, like, falling. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're in this, like, hole. And you're like, holy shit. Mm. How did I get here? This wasn't who I was or who I thought I was. Mm -hmm. um, these were people that I crucified. These yeah. were people that I judged. And here I am. Oh, my God. And now I don't know. I don't know how to get out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to find my way. And I think that's been one of the hardest things to in ways even reconcile, right? Mm -hmm. Is the shifts of who you are and what it does to you and what an, ad an addiction does, mm -hmm. right? And that thought that it won't happen to me. Um, when I was about 10, I was about 10, my brother, unfortunately, and this, this speaks to how far we've come in the world of addiction, mm -hmm. was put into um, an addiction recovery center for adolescents. And he should have never been put into it. Mm. But... The knowledge back then when you have a child that is misbehaving and is running around and, you know, skipping school and doing all mm -hmm. that, um, where do you go? There isn't mm -hmm. the mental health knowledge. There isn't the ADHD knowledge. There isn't the programs. Mm -hmm. And you have two parents that adore their children but were raised, like my dad left home at 14. He was kicked mm -hmm. out at 14. My mom unfortunately it was raised um, in a very difficult home mm -hmm. and a very sad home mm -hmm. and so when you have two people trying to raise children that don't know the world of difficulties mm -hmm. of mental health of smoking cigarettes or doing drugs right my dad smoked cigarettes but that idea and when you reached out and this was the solution you grasped at that solution mm -hmm. because you wanted to help your child and unfortunately, the program was devastating to our family. 
Mm -hmm. um, financially, emotionally, mentally, it was not good. And even to today, it lingers, sadly, um, yeah. especially for my one brother. But I was thrust into this world of addiction young, and yet all I saw was, was how they taught it was so bad, right? Mm -hmm. And even when you go into your own addiction and you go into treatment centers, I was talking to a friend about this idea that you go from, when you're an addict, you're the addict or you're the problem. And I was talking to mm -hmm. you about this. Where in other treatments, treatment programs, and, and it's part of my story, um, that mental health isn't you, it's mm -hmm. outside of you. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if addicts wouldn't have so much struggle at times cleaning up if that was more of an approach where mm -hmm. you're not the problem, yeah. you're not the bad thing. Um, you struggle with this thing that causes mm -hmm. this. And I, um, so yeah, so my brother went into that program and he came out and he was always then very, um, I don't think he ever really meshed back into the family. Um, and I was supposed to be this perfect child. I love my mom and if she ever hears this, I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't <laughs> hurt her. Um, but she always called me her angel. Mm. And sometimes when you call people those words, they go onto a pedestal and when you fall from that pedestal, yeah. it is so much harder. Mm. And over the years of, of so being clean now, she's tried to put me back onto it mm. and I try and ask her not to. Because it was one of the things that she took from me when it came out that I was into, my, into drugs and the mm. drug of choice of mine. And I'll never forget, I went to go visit a friend out on the coast and they were doing drugs and I just didn't understand it. It was cocaine specifically. Mm -hmm. And I even insulted them. This is like the kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, careful where you point your fingers. Careful where you point your fingers. <laughs> um, and I pointed at them and I was like, how do you do that? Like with this disgust, right? Mm -hmm. And I came back to Calgary and I, a relationship had just ended. I'll place myself. I was 21. I was 21. Um, I was never really a drinker. It was never something that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, something I never struggled with. Um, I had smoked marijuana it's off and on. Like it was just kind of yeah. there. It wasn't really a big deal. It didn't interfere with my life, right? Mm -hmm. Went to work, did my thing, was in school. I was two years into my conservation biology degree. Um, I had been accepted into the University of Alberta to continue that degree um, and go into that world. And, you know, there's pinnacle choices in your life, and this is one, that I believe if I would have made the left instead of the right in my life, mm -hmm. it would have come out differently. And I'd also been accepted into U of C. So I was transferring out of a small university um, with the first two full years transferred out mm -hmm. into an, either a natural science degree or a conservation biology degree. And it'll always be my heart. Mm -hmm. I, I, no matter where I go, I think a part of me will always, if I don't fulfill part of that dream of working with um, with nature and working specifically in the conservation world, mm -hmm. whether it be with cheetahs, which are my heart, um, or just in that industry, right, to save those animals and to help them. Um, my mom begged me to stay in, in Calgary. She asked me to stay in Calgary. Mm -hmm. 
smarter decision. I could live at home, mm -hmm. wouldn't have to pay bills. Two more years and I could go. And I made that choice. And just after I made that choice, I'd gone to BC. And something clicked in me in a curiosity of I wonder why they do the drug. If it's so bad and it's so persecuting, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. What is it? And then curiosity of me as a human took over. Mm -hmm. And I came back and I was talking to a friend one day and she said, oh, well, you know, my dad and I have done it. Um, do you want to just try it? We're safe, mm -hmm. you know, like, it's really not a big deal. It's not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember it. And I remember thinking, it's not that big of a deal. I can understand it. Mm -hmm. I can understand the not feeling, the not thinking, um, the detachment of emotion. Mm -hmm. And how nice that was. Yeah. And I don't know how to like, you know, I remember a counselor getting angry at me said because, and I said, because you fall in love with the drug. Mm -hmm. Whatever that drug is, whatever that addiction is, there is a level of love. And the word love is so complex mm -hmm. and has so many levels and layers to it, but it is a part of you falls in love with the feelings attached mm -hmm. to it, the freedom attached to it, the going into space as, as one person put it once. And even the lifestyle attached to it, right? Like yeah. outside of the using, like the lifestyle that surrounds using can be pretty attractive at a time. And it became more attractive. Yeah. You know, and the further and the more people I surrounded myself with that was in that world. Um, and the more angrier my mom got about it. Mm -hmm. And the standing at windows all night long, like, here's your 22-year-old daughter, and you're calling repeatedly. You're standing at a front window till 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. when she's not coming home. And I can look at that in hindsight, and I can see it. Yes, she loved me. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, I've questioned did you make it harder for me in other ways? Because mm -hmm. I wasn't able to just explore. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to just experience. I was always being questioned of why I was doing this mm -hmm. or why I would want to even try this. And I was so already it was more struggling. Of a, so it was more of a like interrogation type thing to figure out what's going on with you. Why would you do that? Because from their minds, mo normal kids don't do that. Yeah. Even though we know differently. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I gotcha. And even though I was an adult at this time. Yeah. Right? I, I, I figured, but you were always kids to them, right? Yeah. Always. I guess okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can yeah. be like. It doesn't matter. You'll be 40. 60. You're still going to be their kid. be their kid. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't understand, right? Here was this, this child that never went out, never really had boyfriends, mm -hmm. never was this social butterfly, completely introvert in school, all of a sudden now gone all the time yeah. and not wanting to be around. But... What she didn't realize is that I was so broken inside, right? I had gone through so much abuse from my peers, mm -hmm. from my body to who I was, to being raised in a, in a very religious household, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was so isolated and so alone, and I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And when this drug came in, it was like a freedom. It was an experience. And the more she tried to restrain me and hold me back into that angel, the more I fought it mm -hmm. and the more I couldn't control it, right? Because it was then just head first. And it happened so fast. Like I was introduced to it at the end of May. Mm -hmm. 
um, the first time I was ever introduced to it in, um, in the smoking form was October and my life was falling apart by the following February. Mm -hmm. And I just crashed and burned. Like it just, it happened so fast. And then it just became seven years, seven and a half years of fighting mm -hmm. and it only getting worse, no matter how much treatment I went into. All those things just became harder and harder. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget, and I, I knew I wanted to say this because if anybody's listening to who's a father of someone who's an addict, when it all came out and I finally admitted to what was going on, that I was doing these hard drugs and that I was struggling with these things. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I went to my parents, you know, which in some ways show, shows the strength of my relationship with my parents because I trusted them enough going, mm -hmm. So it's, I'm losing control. Yeah. <laughs> I have lost control. Um, I remember going into the office and my dad, who's always worked and always will work, stopped and just looked at me. And it was with this look of like, what have I missed? Mm -hmm. I have missed something with my daughter, my youngest, um, my child. And he took me to an NA meeting. And it was the beginning of February. And I remember my dad, it was a Sunday night, and it was this little tiny N.A. church. Um, and it was in a basement. And we all sat around one table, like one little table. There was like five of us there. And my dad sat beside me. And when it came to his turn, because they decided that we would just go around a circle. And instead of my dad passing, my dad sat there and said, by the grace of God, I am not one of you, because I am an addict. And I know I'm an addict. And... I am here with my daughter and I, and I support her. Where my mom kind of shut down from the relationship completely, where she just couldn't handle me mm -hmm. and her way was prayer and fighting, my dad was this quiet, consistent, I'm here. Mm -hmm. No matter what, I'm here. No matter if she's spaced out, I'm going to go and take her for lunch. I'm going to go even if she's not living in Calgary, if I'm traveling up that way, I'm going to stop and have coffee with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to look at her, and I'm going to check in on her, and I'm going to love her. And she knows that I disagree with this life that she's, she's walking mm -hmm. right now, and I disagree with her choices, but I need her to know that I love her. Mm -hmm. Where my mom, who I was so close to, just shut the door. Mm -hmm. She just... I'll pray for her and that's the way that I love her. And still to this day, that's very much her way of loving is through prayer. But sometimes I needed, I needed that phone call. Mm -hmm. And as hard as it is, it's not even like what is said in the phone call. You could literally pick up and just go, hi, I just wanted to say hi, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Just to have that, I matter, I still matter. Because the worse I fell into the addiction, like I went to Landers for the first time that year and um, I was kicked out. I was told that I wasn't ready. I'll never forget it. Um, I was told that I haven't used enough drugs and that I haven't fallen enough. Is that what they told you? That's what they told me. So that would, wait, I'm sorry, my brain just went, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> So they told you in a treatment, in a Landers treatment center that you, they kicked you out because you hadn't done enough drugs yet? Mm -hmm. they, did, they, did they tell you that you were taking up a bed for someone who needed it more? Is that kind of what kind they... Kind of, I think so, yeah. That yeah. I wasn't ready yet. I really didn't want to be clean. 
to yep. go back out and experience more. Mm. And this is what still to this day... Like, like can I ask a question? Like, mm -hmm. when you were in the treatment center, did you bone somebody and that's why nope. they were booting you? No, okay. Because nope. I just wanted to ask. Yeah, no, totally. Because if, <laughs> if you're in a, like, uh, intersex one, sometimes people get in trouble for, for boning. Well, right? and, like, the, and, the cre and to be, like, forthright on that, um, there, I never had sex with anybody and there was never any sexual contact and I never even kissed anybody. But there was this one guy, and he actually said it in one of the NA meetings before I got kicked mm. out because they brought in people like twice, I think, yeah. when you're there, right? And the first day that he came, he sat by himself. He was a couple days late than the rest of us. And I saw this guy sitting by himself, and I've been a loner all my, all my life. So I went and I sat with him, and I actually just started talking to him and had a conversation. Mm. Like, you're a human. We're both in this shitty hell like treatment center with plastic beds. Like, yeah. Let's have this conversation. And we came out of the NA room and he had said, thank you. He said, I just want to thank somebody that nobody else would talk to me. But this one person just made me feel like a human. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a hug and they saw it on camera. And I got in trouble because you're not allowed to have any physical contact with the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. I said, not a big deal. I said, I will not. Mm -hmm. No one's allowed to hug me. That's fine. And it's interesting, the day that I got kicked out, my counselor was wearing sweaters of some of the male clients, regardless of my own frustration about that one. It was just weird. Wait, it just, what? Yeah, the counselor who kicked me out, who put in the paperwork, mm -hmm. was actually wearing sweaters of clients in the treatment center. And she's the one that made the choice that I hadn't done enough drugs and that mm. I didn't have, I wasn't... I don't know. I wasn't bad enough. You I haven't. Bad enough, yeah. I wasn't bad enough. I don't know how else to explain that. that there's some interesting like dynamics, hey, at treatment centers. There's oh, some weird shit that happens. Really weird. Yeah. Like really weird. And I think <clears> one of the <throat> hardest things they did. It wasn't even that they kicked me out. It's that they said, "Pack your stuff. The stuff can stay at the front. You need to leave the grounds of the treatment center." I'm like. Where am I to go? I, I have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. That's not our business. You can use our phone for one phone call. Then you need to leave the grounds. Like, oh. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Check. <laughs> now that I know that. How dare you so, hug people? Don't fucking hug. <laughs> called my dad. My dad said, well, I'm in the middle of a business meeting, but once I'm done this meeting, I'll grab your mom and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll start the trek. But don't expect us for three or four hours, like, yeah. you better figure out something to do. And I was like, <laughs> what do I do? Like, mm -hmm. what do you do in a town with nowhere to go at nine o'clock in the morning on like a Tuesday, <laughs> on a Tuesday, mm -hmm. right? You're already completely broken. You know you're in trouble now. You know you're in trouble because you just got kicked out of treatment. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I remember walking around Claire's home, and I ended up in front of a Catholic church. I was like, ah. No better place than to just go sit and hang out, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and Eloise, I was raised Catholic. Church was part of my life. Yeah. Every Sunday, every sacrament. It, regardless how far my path has taken me away from a lot of ideologies and doctrines, there's part of those traditions and those rituals that will always have a piece of me. Mm -hmm. And it'll always have a content piece of me. Mm -hmm. And things like this that happen that will always be impactful. So I walk into this church, and here's these three little old ladies praying the rosary at the front of the church. And I kind of go in, and I sit down, and they say, well, would you like to join us? I said, sure, right? 
And I sat there while they finished the rosary, and then they said, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the center. I'm waiting for my parents, thinking that, oh, my God, they're going to hate me. And they're like, oh, they're like, oh, it's not very nice that they put you out, right? Let's go to Subway, and we'll get you coffee, and we'll hang out with you, and we'll have a sub until your family mm -hmm. gets here for you. And I will never forget those little three old ladies mm -hmm. praying the rosary that took me to Subway and sat there and treated me with all kindness when they had no reason to mm -hmm. or anything like that. And it's people like that that I look back on in my life and I'm like, those are guides. Mm -hmm. Those are special humans that exist if you see them, that they light your way. Mm -hmm. They keep it okay for that day. See, it's right. interesting that you were comforted and soothed by that. Because if I walked into a Catholic church and heard three old ladies doing the... You'd be like, what? Well, I'd be like, is there a fucking exorcism going on in yeah. here? And I would have backed out of the church. Yeah. But that's because of my ignorance, not because of, right? Like, it's just, it's interesting because that's what keeps, those are the things that keep me, like, understanding, I guess, why religion is so powerful is because mm -hmm. of how soothing it can be, right? In those moments when we need it the most. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. it's interesting. Just that different perspective, right? Because you were soothed, and I would have been freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> Mind what you, what are you doing? Yeah, what's going on in here, man? Right. Well, exactly. Right. What yeah. is going on? But because but I watched could've... my mother pray the mm -hmm. rosary all my life. Yeah. So it's something that is so naturally ingrained in a mm -hmm. ritual for me. And then that is very much a soothing thing for me. Very much so. That's wonderful. And yeah. perfect timing. Perfect timing. And yeah. that's why I say like those guides, those moments, mm -hmm. those people that when you look back over your life, when you can look back and go, oh, that one, mm -hmm. that changed me yeah. or that changed me. Um, and those very, very clear moments and how much they actually make you as a human. Mm -hmm. Like, and those core things, right? I was talking yeah. to my mom about something in her history of a young child and a, and a very clear moment that if it would have gone the other way, it would have shattered her belief system. Mm. And she sat there and she said, oh, you're right. And I said, see how one moment, one mm. event can just completely change the way you walk your life, yeah. right? If I would have said yes to going to Edmonton and going to U of A, I would have walked away from that friend who introduced me to cocaine. Mm -hmm. Probably, I was, she was just a work acquaintance. She yeah. really wasn't a friend. Um, it was a random conversation. We were randomly hanging out. We had never really done much together. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this bonded us. Mm -hmm. And it bonded us for many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, Isn't that interesting, hey? Many years. Yeah. She became like highly influential. And I remember once just after coming out of treatment and I was trying to stay clean, but I was kind of clean more for my parents because I didn't really think it was a big deal. Like I didn't, mm -hmm. I knew I was falling apart, but I was like, ah. but you didn't know the depths yet. I didn't know anywhere near the depths yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, I tried to go back to school, failed that miserably, went back on a medical leave and it became this yo-yo of just trying to figure out how to not be an addict, mm -hmm. but yet you're still an addict. Like you're trying to go to work and you're trying to say, okay, well, I'll only use on the weekends, right? Or it's not a big deal as long as I'm paying all my bills or mm -hmm. all of those very interesting excuses. And um, I ended up meeting a gentleman and I, when I think back on him, like I wish him all the happiness in life. 
But those people that you get into relationships with that you should have never, ever, ever, like there's nothing, there's no reason that you guys ever end up in the relationship mm -hmm. other than that you just end up in the relationship. And I ended up really falling in love with his sister and not in any sexual connotation um, because I'm very secure in that in, my, in myself, but in that human, that mm -hmm. soul that like matches you in so many ways mm -hmm. when her brother didn't match me in any way. Mm -hmm. And as I hung on to the relationship to keep her in my life, the abuse that came from him just started escalating. Mm -hmm. And one of the conversations about in a life and in years of addiction, um, all these little traumatic things that collect over time. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about trauma in, in the psychological world and the counseling world, you always talk about these events, this thing that happened mm -hmm. to you. But they very rarely talk about all these little compounding things, especially when you're dealing with addiction and you're dealing with the sickness that comes around it and that flows around it and flows in the relationships and how they like compound on you, mm -hmm. right? And you let these unhealthy people in. And so I was fighting to be clean and there's no excuse. I'm not for a moment saying there's an excuse to relapse or do that. Um, but it's, it, it's part of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's just part of it. Um, until you can, at least I think, until you come to a place where you don't want that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different shift. Um, because there's many, many years that followed this until I made that shift. And, and death was very much part of that for me. But the more he abused me emotionally and mentally. And people don't realize, like, simple phrases like... You think too much. Mm -hmm. You talk too much. Um, why do you act like that? Mm -hmm. When you say that over and over and over to somebody and you start isolating them from your family, and I was already isolated, but he isolated it even more, mm -hmm. and you have this constant parade, one day you're going to say, well, fuck it. I may as well just go and do that drug because at least I don't have to feel this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think this. I don't have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. I can detach. But then it just cycles in and gets worse, right? Yeah. Because then money starts going missing. And then the relationship gets more difficult. And you have this like cyclical illness and darkness that is just festering mm -hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper. And I spiraled in that. And unfortunately, I deeply hurt them. Right? And I know I hurt them. And I know we talked about this, and it's something that I struggle with this, that when you're looking at an addict, whatever happens in the end, no matter what hurt that they get, like that, that we deal with, mm -hmm. it's okay because if you weren't the addict and you weren't doing all this, then you wouldn't have made these choices. You wouldn't have allowed these people in your life. Mm -hmm. And so all of the blame or the shame and the guilt ends up falling back on you, right? And that can become very uh, detrimental to your life and to who you are. Very much so. And it isolates you from everything of trying to even get help because mm -hmm. the world then tells you that you're the problem. And so how do you find your way out of that problem, right? Mm -hmm. And 
I don't even know if in the in the world that you know how to find your way out. And I totally like went off track there in my own thought and in my own emotion, um, thinking about about all those people mm-hmm. and about all that hurt and abuse and that it's it seems like it was forgiven or forgotten um, because I caused it first. Mm-hmm. Like I caused those hurts. I stole from them. I know, I know I did. I'm not going to deny that. Um, and it's some of those those things that you do when you're an addict that you, as I say it with complete like embarrassment and shame mm-hmm. and guilt, right? Like, because that's not who I am, mm-hmm. right? That's not the person that sits here today who strives to be good and kind and care for people and care for animals and care for our world and do our best to be this like this person right Mm -hmm. and to go back through like a history and be like oh my god I (laughs) stole from that person and I you know I snuck into my parents home and while my niece because I wasn't allowed to be there was getting baptized I took all my mom's jewelry Mm -hmm. and I pawned it all you know and Sometimes it's almost like this out-of-body experience when you've done things like that. Yeah. And you've come so far from it. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy fuck. Well, it feels like a totally different human, right? A totally different yeah. human. It, to think back on it, to think back of the memory. And to then also think about that argument with yourself when you go to do that. At least for me, it was, right? It was like an entire day of arguing with myself. You're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. You don't need this. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get through this. It's just a feeling. It's just a craving. You're okay. You just got to go, go lay down for a while, go nap for a while, Mm -hmm. go, go do anything. And it's like this little demon that's in there. That's going, no, 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 it's okay. You want this more. Mm -hmm. This will make everything else go away. This will make everything okay for a moment. Mm -hmm. And so it's this constant battle. And sometimes I sit back and I just wonder how it even won sometimes or, and it's not, I don't think about a weakness or mm-hmm. even at times a will. Like, I think sometimes it's just that battle, that battle with our own mind, with our own voice inside of us that tells mm-hmm. us we're not good enough. Yeah. Um, and that it's so much easier to do this than this. And we'll deal with the repercussions and the consequences and everything else later if mm-hmm. we can just get this. And it's those things that are really hard to look back at. And in years of being clean, it, um, it's some of the things, like I wondered as I sat in the rooms, how people relapsed at five years or 10 years or 15 years. And like I look at 10 years knocking on the door here, right? October, right? October. October nice. 2nd will be 10 years. Nice. And when you get clean, there's like this, like, woohoo, everything's like pink and perfect. <laughs> And then everything settles and you start dealing with those memories and you start dealing with those relationships of those people that you snuck in their house and you stole their jewelry or that other person who like you run into years later that you stole or you did this or you did that. Um, And I went through a pardon. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, if you've ever tried to get a pardon, it is so incredibly difficult in this Mm -hmm. world. Um, it takes years to get, it takes money and for $70, (laughs) that's what, that's what I was charged with was $70. Um, it took me thousands of dollars. You were charged with theft under 
And it was $70 worth? $69.70. I think it was $69.75 I was charged with stealing. And they, char they charged you and convicted you? Mm -hmm. Was that before alternative measures? It must have been. I had already been given an alternative. Oh, okay, so that was your second goal. Okay, I got you. Because I'm like, this is not, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's just fucking crazy. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. You did, you got more of a, like a punishment than some people do for DUI. Yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. I got, I, yeah, bad. Yeah. So bad. Uh, well, I mean, no, what's bad is how much, what they did to you, what yeah. happened because of that. Don't get me wrong. Stealing's bad. I get it, but. But yes, no, 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 yeah. um, it was a second go. Third go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, you know what? Like, when you look back, oh my God, I can't believe I'm laughing at it because it sounds horrible. Yeah, um, been, what's done is done. <laughs> what's done is done. <laughs> um, a cop protected me once, uh, negotiated with an employer to, um, to give me 72 hours to get the money back to him, mm. to pay me up all my vacation pay, pay me yeah. up all my salary I was owed, um, and if I could get the money back. Mm -hmm. And um, the gentleman that I was dating at the time, he ended up giving me some money, um, and I did pay it back. And he threatened to still take me to court, the, the, guy, the gentleman I was working mm -hmm. for at the time. I said, no, you made a legal binding agreement in front of a police officer and shook on it that I had 72 hours. Mm -hmm. I said, we can call him. And... Um, he released me and, and I was very, very grateful for that. And it's, you know, it's interesting in the program, um, what step is it? You'd be better at this than me, um, about making amends. Uh, step nine. Step nine. Thank you. And coming to that willingness and he's, that's step eight. The willingness yeah, is step, step eight. eight. So, Doing yeah. the amends is step nine. Yeah. And I've, there's all these people in my head that I'm like, I would totally, absolutely happily make amends to that person. He is one person that I desperately would want to make amends to, but I'm mm -hmm. so terrified because he scared him and his wife cornered me in this little tiny room screaming at me. Um, they had called every other place that's attached. I was working at vet clinics in the time. Mm -hmm. Him and his wife called every vet clinic in half of Calgary and told them that I was a thief and to not hire me. And... Um, did some pretty nasty things. Mm -hmm. um, got the bank to completely close my accounts. The bank manager actually called my partner at the time, told him that I was a horrible person, that he should never have a bank account with someone like me, to close all his accounts with someone like me. And I remember sitting in her office, and she was shaking, David. Like, I mean, like, her entire body vibrating in hatred towards me. Like, mm -hmm everything in her like you could feel it and I finally looked at her in, in tears and I said you know I said I'm sitting here and you can see every skeleton in my closet right now I said can you at least just treat me like a human mm -hmm. and she sat down forced me to sign the paperwork took all the money that was left in all of my accounts my RSPs transferred them all to my partners and completely wiped all my money from me and then closed my account told me I had 24 hours to go get a bank account somewhere else before she starts contacting banks and letting them know that I was a thief. I don't know what the laws are, but that sounds like defamation. It is. <laughs> I mean... It is. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think about some of those things that, that happen, and it's just like... 
how do you even put that together in a life? How do you put that out there? How do you... Do you, do you think it's because of the shame and guilt that you felt in general that you just took it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could sense that too, right? Because I, I might have done the same thing. and just been like, yeah, okay, I'm a piece of shit. Tuck tail and go as fast as I can. Yeah. Try and get out of it as unscathed as I can. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, even as I sit here, there's this level of like, I can't believe you're saying this, Carrie. But if you want the reality of an addiction, you want the reality of what it can do to somebody. Mm-hmm. You take this person who did everything right, crossed all her T's, did all the I's, was you know, second year into her degree, was accepted into multiple universities to finish a con, mm-hmm. you know, a good degree, a good career, um, a dream, everything, mm-hmm. right? To, in a couple of years, you're stealing from the people you love. Mm-hmm. You are destroying yourself. You're hurting yourself constantly. Mm-hmm. You're shattering everything that you knew of a life. Your degree has fallen to nothing. You're failing, you know, like... We talked about, I walked out of a final with nothing written on it, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing written on it. But yet it's funny because now I'll talk to students in my degree and they'll be so upset and they're like, oh my God, I might only get this. I'm like, you know what? Don't worry. Because eventually that won't matter. Mm -hmm. That one course, that one grade that is so important right now, Mm -hmm. if you can just get past it to the other side, you can laugh at it like I can Mm -hmm. today. I can laugh at it and go, what kind of insanity was that? <laughs> I still finished that degree. Mm-hmm. I fought for it. Um, and, you know, I clean, did I ever, um, I guess I should track back, hey? So let's continue down the path. So I was dating, Chris was his name, and Sarah. Um, I had relapsed again. I was... Um, I like that it sounds like you're dating both of them, just so you know. It sounds like you're dating Chris and Sarah. I like that. Because so much emotionally I was. It's what it sounded like when you were telling me. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and still to this day, um, I had told you he, he contacted me. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a beautiful family. And, you know, it's interesting. When I cleaned up oh, the last time he saw me, I said it. I said, I feel so sorry for you that the last memory of me was that day. And we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the story. It seems so long now. Um, and going through it all, everything in me imparts me, and I'm sorry if you ever hear this, I highly doubt you ever will, but everything in me wished it was her that would contacted me. Mm-hmm. She's the one that I'd love to sit and have coffee with and to mm-hmm. talk with and to apologize to, um, because I know I hurt him, but he hurt me, mm-hmm. and he chose to leave Calgary. He chose to engage, like you got to think, by the end of our relationship, by the time he left, he was married within a year and had a kid within a year and a half. Like, mm-hmm. And then to come back and be like 10 years later, well, I've missed you and I've thought of you over all these years and the teddy bear we made, my daughter sleeps with and I still wear your shirts. And I'm like, wait a minute. You have a beautiful family and a mm-hmm. beautiful wife and children. And here all I want to know is how your sister is, mm-hmm. but yet won't talk to me about it yeah. because... I think he even knew that. I think that he was the outsider to our relationship. Mm -hmm. And eventually she's the one that actually kicked him out of our apartment for the um, emotional and the mental abuse. And she finally was like, I can't handle it. Like you are destroying Carrie, you're destroying her. Mm -hmm. And so she finally kicked him out and we ended up staying living together. 
And that really is where the relationship started shattering mm -hmm. um, more and more, right? Because once he wasn't living there, it was just perpetually getting worse. And he left Calgary. And um, I stole from her and I'm not. Mm -hmm. I did. And I remember, I remember being at work and it all had, it all had come out um, that I had relapsed. And she came to an NA meeting with me and I remember her sitting there beside me. And she said, we'll get through this. She said, I'm here for you, right? I hadn't told him anything. And I had gone to work and it was a Sunday and I was working at a movie theater at the time. Totally embarrassing, I was, but you do what you need to do. What, working at a movie theater? Yeah. That would have been fun. I mean, <laughs> I understand if you're embarrassed because of things that happened, but. <laughs> it's not fun, I promise you, it's not. You come home smelling like popcorn and stickiness under your feet that you don't realize what's sticky under your feet. Ah, but, yes. Uh... The stickiness of the theater floors. Is it semen or pop? pop. <laughs> <laughs> and Darcy just threw up in his mouth a little bit. A little bit of mixture you don't want to know. Oh, yeah. A little urine. Do you know what? <laughs> Working at the Saddle Dome took it all for me. Oh, yeah. You will never, like after working there and seeing like fellatio in the middle of like concerts and like what people do full out in the open on mm -hmm. the seats in the saddle dome, you'll never look at one of those seats ever again, I promise you. Mm -hmm. um, totally just random off there, but. Yeah, but that's funny because it reminded me of like <laughs> going, the last time I went to a concert, the saddle dome, it was a tool concert when they were here. <laughs> it was, we were like in there and we're like, how did they get all this dope in here? Because they were like searching you at the door. You had to come in, right? And as soon as we got in there and everybody's seated, there is like clouds of dope, which don't get me wrong, I don't care, but it's like we're indoors, right? This is Canada still. And it seems like all of a sudden people were smoking, probably giving hand jobs, blow jobs, whatever they could Everything do. Everything you could ever imagine is done in those seats. We should do a could... podcast on just your experience with the saddle bone. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the weird shit that you saw. Well, you could tell us now, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that fellatio isn't the weirdest thing you saw. Uh, or maybe it was. It is a concert, after all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was the weirdest. God, that would be an interesting... To go back into my memory, I was a teenager at that mm -hmm. time. But even like all the years I've worked retail, mm -hmm. all the different places I've worked, all the different experiences, like people are weird. People are like freaky deaky. Yeah. And we naturally are. And if anybody yeah, wants are. to tell me that we're not, <laughs> you're just hiding some freaky deaky part that one day when it goes, mm -hmm. you won't know what to do with it. But some people fry the, fly the freak flag <laughs> and other people hide the freak flag. Literally. Yeah, it's true. And, and we all are because... If you look at the world of fetishes mm -hmm. and you look at the world of, you know, like some of the darkness that's out there, mm -hmm. right? That I don't even think we need to talk about when it comes to pedophilia and child mm -hmm. slavery and those kinds of things. People are freaky deaky, man. They have some weird. I went on a date once that the entire date, all the guy wanted to do was touch my feet. And I kept telling him, please stop trying to touch my feet. And he would not stop trying to touch my feet so when would and he like, when was he trying to touch them like like any time he possibly could like we'd be sitting there and then all of a sudden he'd be like trying to like <laughs> i went on a date i went on a date once we could have a whole podcast on date i love it i went on a 
I did one for the guy that I had to try every piece of food on my plate and his plate first before he would actually eat anything. Really? Mm-hmm. What was the reasoning for that? Did he give you a reason or? I knew one guy that wouldn't let a woman, no matter what, cook for him because his father always told him that if he was going to be killed by a woman, it would always be done with food. Poisoned? Poisoned. Yeah. So he would not, not for the life of him, let any woman cook for him. Not nothing. Like I could literally cook an entire meal right in front of him from groceries that we bought together. Mm -hmm. And he still would be like, no, I'm not hungry. I'll eat Mm -hmm. later. And then would never eat the food. It was like. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So did you go on a walk with this guy that liked your feet? Did he kept trying to go down and grab your feet while you were walking? Like a cat? No, we were sitting at a cafe. Oh, and you were totally joking there and I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Oh my goodness. I'm just, I'm sorry. Every time so when you mentioned feet, I'm just like, every time you turn around, he's down at your feet trying to grab your feet. Well, you know what? It, it was like the, one of the weirdest experiences. And that's when I really started like thinking about the weird fetishes that people have, mm-hmm. right? And some of the like, really, like humans are weird. Mm-hmm. We are. We are just naturally weird. So we are. Um, we have some, we have some interesting desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, some of us interesting, some of us beyond interesting into the dark and disturbing, mm-hmm. right? Like when we talk about pedophilia and stuff like that, to me, when I think of fetishes, I don't think of that stuff because I think of that like an illness, right? Yeah. Like, and see, and interestingly enough, because it is a diagnosed, pedophilia is a diagnosed illness, mm-hmm. um, there's an interesting debate going on and you have to search it to find it because it's not open there. But there's a debate saying that people with pedophilia, specifically men mm-hmm. with pedophilia, can be treated and that they should have the same rights to adopt children and things like that mm-hmm. as regular people because it is a mental health illness. Mm-hmm. But that opens a whole other like door of conversation. But it is. That's it's a that, crazy hallway to go down. It is. It, it's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. There's there's courts on it now. Yeah. And that because it's a mental illness, you shouldn't be stigmatizing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they should be treated just like anybody else should be treated mm-hmm. um, with mental health issues. And it becomes its own question and its own umbrella of how do we take care of people with mental health and mm-hmm. extreme mental health yeah. um, and damaging mental health, right? Mental health mm-hmm. that hurts other people, right? Well, and I think that's the point. Is That's the main point is that we have to be aware that some illnesses are more harmful on others than, than other illnesses, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You could have an illness like pedophilia that hurts all the children that the, that person comes in contact with, whether it's online, in person, mm-hmm. whatever the scenario is, some child is being hurt in that environment. And, and again, I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting I do because that is a tough one. But I will, like, honestly, it has to be treated differently. It has to be. Yeah, it just has to be. Yeah, and that becomes that question, right, is where mm-hmm. is that line and how do we treat them and how do we treat humanely and kindly, right? When you look Mm -hmm. at, I did this paper once on, um, in anthropology. And so I continued my degree. Um, I went back and I finished in anthropology many years later, um, with a lot of winding and Mm -hmm. and twisting in it. Um, and I did one specifically on drugs and addicts and the history of the culture around addicts Mm -hmm. and around addictions and how we were treated. And when you look at the history and the actual documented history of treating the mental health issues surrounding addicts, they tortured us. Mm -hmm. 
They, they literally tortured us and did lobotomies and experimented on us and were treated like the, the lowest of the low. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I remember doing that, that paper and it really bothered me because I sat there and then I thought about myself and I was like, you know, I've done some bad things and, mm. I, and I will always live with them. I, yep. I, think, I think you can come to a point of forgiveness, but I think forgiveness at times for yourself comes in waves. Mm -hmm. And at certain times you're like, okay, I can handle this. This was part of my past. This was part of my history. Doesn't make me a bad person. Mm -hmm. Did I do this? Was it wrong? 100%. If I could go back, would I take it back? Would I change it? Without a thought and without mm -hmm. a question. But that doesn't make me a bad person, mm -mm. right? And how we treat people. And coming to that recollection of self and forgiving yourself for those things that as yourself, you're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even stomach that I did it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then coming to a place that, yes, I did do it, but that doesn't make me that person today, mm -hmm. tomorrow, and for the rest of my life. Yeah. And if I can try and teach other people that, and that you don't have to crucify yourself for your rest of your existence for those things that you did in an addiction, right? Mm -hmm. And learning to sometimes, and I think it's one of the hardest things for any of us addicts to do, is learn to laugh at some of the insanity yeah. and truly laugh at it. And people are like, well, how do you laugh at some of that stuff? It's like, well, what other choice do I have? Yeah. I can sit there and be in misery and crying, which is probably going to take me right back to that place. Mm -hmm. Or I can go look at the fucking insanity. Mm -hmm. Like, look at the insanity that I've lived through, that I let other people treat me like, mm -hmm. that I treated other people like, and that I've come through and come to the other side of today. Like, yeah. there's still, like, all these years later, as I sit here and I talk about, about some of the things I've done, like stealing, it's like, you gotta like swallow the pill of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's not the norm, but it is the norm. Um, it's not right, but yet. It's what happens every time. It's what happens, thank you. Yeah. I was trying to put the next word, I'm like, but it, I don't know if wrong is the right word either, or, you know, this, this idea of right, wrong, good, bad, mm -hmm. this, you know, this dichotomy of the world when so much of the world is not dichotomy. So much of the world lives in a gray, mm -hmm. right? And trying to find that balance that between those two worlds mm -hmm. and acceptance, right? That you can flow between them. And sometimes you make decisions that you would take back in an instant, mm -hmm. but it gives you also hindsight if you can come out of it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, many, many sure. years later. And you don't look at those people, you know, and everybody else, um, this is a show my mom and I watch. It's called Evil Lives Here. And they say, you know, these evil signs and sometimes with all that I've gone through and I've also experienced and educated and all those things, I'm like, but is it really evil or did some of that create? Like if you take that child that has been abused traumatically all its life, how do you not expect it to become this violent human at the end, mm -hmm. right? So are they evil people? Or do those experiences and choices, are they bad? Yes. Mm -hmm. But can you understand where they would maybe come from? Yeah. And why that choice would be made or how mm -hmm. that, that event happened, right? Yeah. And 
Well, we like it simple though, right? We like a simple answer. We like a judgment that's simple and conclusive, mm -hmm. and that's what we do. Yeah. And we do it with things that have no business being judged like that, right? No. Like, and I think mental health is one of the hardest, yep. right? Because it's so much easier to blanket it as good or bad, or lock them up, mm -hmm. or drug them up, you know? And I don't necessarily think that that is the right path mm -hmm. with it, right? Like, as in someone who has comorbidity, and I know I do, I struggle, um, uh, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to say that. I think it's almost easier to say that I'm an addict mm -hmm. um, than I'm a woman that has struggled with an eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And and struggling with that second half of that disease. And sometimes I really wonder if it's actually one disease. It's one mm -hmm. umbrella of where I can't deal with the emotions and I can't deal with those core beliefs of myself and how they actually come out in me mm -hmm. is more of it, right? And if I know I can't do drugs because this destroys my life, mm -hmm. food I can use as an obstacle and an object in a similar way, mm -hmm. right? To fill that hole, to fill that loneliness, to fill those struggles and those emotions mm -hmm. that I haven't been able to balance over here. It's the safer. <laughs> it's the safer of the two. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and sometimes it, it feels like it. It feels like when you're dealing with that, that food relationship, it feels equally as difficult, if not harder, than dealing with a drug relationship. Mm -hmm. it's, right? it's very difficult. And, yeah. and I see it when I go back, like, you know, we were talking about food. And I remember starting to hide food in, in childhood mm -hmm. when I was nine, ten years old. So this started young. So this predated yeah. the addiction of the drugs. And I see them intertwine. Mm -hmm. And I see, you know, this one girl was once told that I was... I was a cocaine addict and she said to her mom, well, she's too big. How can she be on coke mm -hmm. with this idea that if you do this drug, you are thin mm -hmm. without realizing that it's so much more complex than that. Yeah. Right. And how it intertwines in your life. And you always think that the addicts are the people sitting on the corner of the street, but there's so many of them that are functioning around us all mm -hmm. the time that, you know, um, uh, that waitress that you were dealing with that was so nice and friendly, mm -hmm. you know, she's going out at the end of her shift and she's meeting her dealer and she's going home, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's, I think it's a lot more common than we even, than we even know it is, right? I agree. And I think what you mentioned is one of the things that makes it so common is that anyone who's trying to avoid emotions mm -hmm. um, of any kind mm -hmm. will find a way to avoid them. And it's not always going to be the same way, right? Like some people will find cocaine. Some people will, I've never even tried it, right? Like mm. I've done all kinds of shit, <laughs> but never even tried it. And so the idea is, is that we're going to find a way to express our avoidance somehow, mm -hmm. right? And usually we find the most destructive way in the middle of all the different somehows we're looking at, right? Whether it's like we find out that it's um, <clears throat> alcohol for me in the middle of, all these other little spider web problems, mm -hmm. sex, relationships, work, all these different problems that I have going on, but the big hub, the crux of the problem that allows everything else to continue to exist without any sort of questions is alcohol, mm -hmm. right? So once I get the alcohol out of the way, once you get the drugs out of the way, right? And then we are left with food, sex, work, um, maybe some people gambling, right? Because I know that a lot of my people that I've known through the years who've struggled with alcohol and drugs 
gambling becomes an addiction in their sobriety, mm -hmm. right? And we're just trying to, I think that's what recovery really is, right? Is trying to figure out what are some of the isms that I'm going to be living with? Mm -hmm. Can I live with them? Mm -hmm. Do I need to find other things to do for coping or whatever, right? And obviously, a human is complex anyway. The idea that we're all simple and the same is a very like, first of all, it's limiting and I don't think it's correct, right? Yeah. But that, that comes from some of these different groups, like different philosophies that say, no, everyone can. And it's like, I don't think everyone can, not that way. No. Everyone can in general probably, but not the same way yeah. because we're not the same people, mm -mm. right? Like I... I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but you've been around for a long time, like well, 10 years. So that's a long time. It's a fucking decade, right? Like you've spent a decade in and around um, recovery people or recovery programs, right? And, and so noticing that there's a lot of, there can be lots of stigma in those groups about doing it one way only, yes. right? And about blocking out people who aren't gonna do it that way. And it's weird. I don't think about this all the time, but every so often when I'm talking to people who are like from program or like have been in program lots and then take a break, like it all, it kind of comes out. It's like, well, what's the break about? And the break is usually the same. I'll be honest with you. The breaks, needing a break from like 12 step groups, it, it usually comes down to the same thing. Personalities. Like it's like, if it wasn't for some of these more difficult and dominant personalities in these groups, um, and the reason I say that I say that specifically dominant is because every group has dominant personalities. Mm -hmm. They might be different personalities at different groups, but each one has like the the quote unquote like uh, twelve step gurus, right? And then they've got the twelve step <laughs> tryhards, and then they've got the twelve step overtries and the overshares. And the, you know, there's all these different cliques within the, within these, um, and I, usually that's what it comes down to, right? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, there's so much beauty that comes from the 12 step Of course. Yeah. I'm not going to take away from all that it can give and all the lives that it does help save. Well, when I, when I'm pointing out the, mm -hmm. the negatives, it's not to diminish the positives, no. right? And, and I know that you don't think that way either. Like the one mm -hmm. doesn't equal the other. It doesn't take away from the other. It's just, it all exists at the same time. Whether you like it or not, it's an institution that is run by humans. Yeah, exactly. And any institution run by humans are going to have flaws. <laughs> you <And> said it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, as you talked about the 12 steps and the ways they go, the second treatment center I went to was a place called uh, Pine Lodge, and it's out in Indian Head, Saskatchewan. Mm. And everybody lovingly calls it Pain Lodge. And it's a very small program, but it is 12-step mm -hmm. AA-based. And when I came in, one of the biggest things, and I was teased about it all the time, is that I wasn't a purebred. I was a mutt mm. because I wasn't an alcoholic. And I was one of the very few drug addicts in the place. Most of it was AA-stepped. But I, they wouldn't believe me. And then even in the counselors, and these are some of the things that <laughs> gets me super frustrated that has happened that I'm like, mm -hmm. why do you got to do this? We had to do when we sat in these little groups, so we were split into three. There was only 18 allowed, so it was a small program. Mm -hmm. um, and in your group, you had one counselor. 
and you would have, every week you'd have these assignments. And then the next week you'd have to read it out to everybody. You'd have to make eye contact with mm -hmm. everybody in the group. You had to sit there with your hands in that like specific place, your feet on the ground, all that kind of crazy jazz. Good posture. Good posture. Make Good sure delivery. you do it all right. But then when you're done, you have to sit there quietly. You're not allowed to respond while everybody gives you constructive feedback. But you're not allowed to like mm -hmm. rebuke it. You're not allowed to say, well, no, that's not true. And so I sat there and my counselor who, was, um, who had been an alcoholic had never done drugs in her life. I talked, we had to go through an entire drug history. Mm -hmm. See, and in detail, like every person you hurt, everything you've done, calculation of all the money you've spent mm -hmm. and in every way spent, like I'm not talking just money, but like the money that people are spending for you to be in treatment mm -hmm. now type kind of money detail. And she sat there and I remember we're all sitting there and I had told my entire drug history, right? In, in great detail. And this was early in my years, but... She turns to me, she's like, well, you were a drug addict, so I truly believe you were a prostitute and you're not being honest with mm. us. And I sat Wait, there, I truly believe you were a prostitute? Yes. But you didn't allude to being a prostitute? No. Because you were not a prostitute? Because I wasn't. And yeah. you know what? There's lots of... <laughs> and, and you know what? Oh, my God. Oldest profession in the world and... There's nothing wrong give, with being a prostitute. You know what? There's a lot of us that give it away for free for yeah. nothing. At least they're making some money off of it. And there is a lot of them that get highly ahead in life mm -hmm. and they do very well. And you know what, if that is what you want to do, yeah. oh, I, you know what, there's some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women out there that choose that as a profession and they get way far ahead. And you know what, there's a lot of women that give it away for free three nights a week to random people all mm -hmm. the time. So how do you judge one when you can't judge? Like, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, there should... I don't know why we judge it anyway. I don't know. It's a fucking job. It's and you know what? It's and all the people forever. involved. Yeah, and all the people involved generally are adults, and they know what they're getting into. Yeah. When it goes down to children, obviously that's a different story altogether. But it's interesting how instantly because I was a drug addict, because mm -hmm. I didn't fit in their field of what addict addiction was, mm -hmm. there was this instant high negative connotation with mm -hmm. it. And it was in years later, I even saw my family doctor. I'd been my family doctor all my life. The last time I went for treatment programs, what an incredible man. He said, Carrie, I don't want to ask. He said, but you know, you were in that world. Do I need to worry that you, you got into prostitution? And you know, I, I question what the word prostitution means mm -hmm. because I think that even in a relationship, you can prostitute yourself. Of course. And in relationships, when you want money, Mm -hmm. Whether they're your partner or not, or you want drugs, and eventually I did ended up dating a gentleman who um, did, uh, he was a dealer. And so that begs that and that question, mm -hmm. right? What do you use your body for, and what is the manipulation within that, mm -hmm. right? And what stigma do we put on that? Yeah. And I think if you really look, we use our bodies a lot more than people do. We mm. prostitute our bodies in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a cash transaction. Yeah. And, but it was that instant stigma. It was, and, and that instant thought that if you did drugs, you are this, or you've done mm -hmm. this. And that treatment center, I, I completed it. I did the 28 days, but it was painful. Like it was, they treated you like every Tuesday they would come in and they would go, hi, you addicts and hi, you drug addicts. And 
Like they just treated you and they just tore you down and tore you down and tore you down. And then they shove you back out and expect you to pick your life back up. Mm. And that's some of the mentality around that. Like when I think about that, it was so confusing. It's like, how do you destroy these people, mm. tear them apart and then expect them with no support to go back out there and like repiece their life together mm. when the world is telling them that they're a problem. When no one wants to hire them, no one wants to give them a chance. Mm -hmm. And they have also lost so much of learning of how to care for yourself, right? And um, I was thinking about as I was doing some makeup to come here, right? Even though I'm just sitting in this room with you, makes me feel better. At one time in my life, I did it every day faithfully, mm -hmm. without question. But the further I got into my addiction, it's those self-care things that really started to slide. Mm -hmm. And... But yet when you get clean and you try to change your life, there's no one there to help teach you those things again mm. because you're supposed to be an adult now. You're supposed to just pick it back up. And a lot of the programs don't help you with those things. Mm. They don't teach you those little things that sometimes when life is sucking, putting on a little bit of mascara and mm. a little bit of eyeshadow to make you feel better to go out in the world and present yourself, mm -hmm. you do that. But they're not taught those little things, mm -hmm. those little self-care things that make you feel better, right? Because yeah. it's I, all about just staying clean. I think some <laughs> of that's changed over the last few years. Has but it? There's been more of a transition, uh, sorry, transition, transition towards like wellness, like yeah. overall wellness, because I think what you're pointing out is a important fact that they didn't look at before, mm -hmm. was some of just those normal, regular, nothing fancy self-care stuff, right? Like yeah. um, if you have back pain, go to a chiropractor maybe, go to a massage therapist, like those kinds of things. like. I'm not, again, I'm not telling anyone to go to a chiropractor because my surgeon would fucking kill me. Um, so I will just simply say, go see your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I am not allowed to see a chiropractor and there's someone out there, other people who probably can't either. But yeah. anyway, those things are important. My mm -hmm. point, right, is that if you need a massage, you can get a massage. That might actually help your pain, right? Or yeah. if you're... Um, agitated, you might need to start understanding your blood sugar levels so that mm -hmm. you can figure out how to eat more, uh, eat properly so that your blood sugar doesn't fluctuate as much, whatever the case may be, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I think you're right. So I think I, I am encouraged because I have seen a trend. I'm glad move. you've seen a trend. Cause, yeah. And you got to think that I, like after um, everything that, for myself, what happened with the NA program and like mm -hmm. going back to that topic that we were talking about, I had to take a step away from it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel like I fit with the people. Um, I am not in that type of very dominant power mm. structure. Um, and the, the, a lot of the personalities were, and it felt overbearing. It felt like I wasn't heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't finding, I was leaving there more upset after mm -hmm. a meeting and more discouraged than when I was going. Mm -hmm. And I knew at that time I needed to find other sources and I needed to find other ways to help me with me. Mm -hmm. um, because they're going to all be there. At any time I want to go sit in that chair, I paid that for that spot in that yep. chair dearly. Mm -hmm. But I also know that I wanted something different, mm -hmm. right? I didn't, I, I wanted a life. I wanted to be able to live a life and build a life. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't fitting. It, it wasn't making me happy. Um, Watching people relapse mm -hmm. was not part of it. 
Um, I think any of us that have a lot of time clean that touch the world of addiction mm -hmm. know that death is very much a part of it. And it very is. Sad. And I and thank you for bringing that up because the the truth is we talk we talk about some of the difficulties that people face in the in the program, and usually it's ideological differences, personality differences. But that is a very good point. Is that when you're sober for a long period of time, you will know lots of people who die. And watching them suffer, yeah. like I went and um, full anonymity for him, so mm -hmm. I will not mention a name. But I went for, for uh, breakfast with somebody I hadn't seen in many years. And interestingly enough, he was in the first NA meeting that I was ever mm -hmm. into. And we kind of balanced, like we kind of offset each other. So if he was clean, I was out. If I was clean, he was out. And if anybody that knows addictions, you're in and out. Like, it's not this, like, you're either in or you're out. It's kind of like this. You can be both almost at the oh, same time. At the same time. Yeah. Like, you know, one week you're doing good. One month you're doing good and you're in. Yeah. The next month, you can't handle life. You mm -hmm. don't know what you're doing and you're out. And you're back and forth. But it had been many, many years that I had been clean. It was last year, so it was, I was coming up to nine years. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen him in... Seven, mm -hmm. eight, and he's, he sat across from me and he was kind of trembling and he was kind of shaking and he's like, you know, I've just come to this resolve, Carrie, that it'll always be part of my life and I just need to manage it. Mm -hmm. And if I can get it weekends and I'll just work and this will be my existence. I've mm -hmm. given up with the idea of ever being anything else. And it made me so sad mm -hmm. as, you know, I've had numerous people die of overdoses that I've known and and in that world and things like that. As I sat there and I was like, one day you are going to lose this battle. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here watching it. Yeah. Like, I'm like in front of my eyes, I'm sitting watching this person that I've cared about for so many years. I've watched in and out mm -hmm. and I've rooted for, give up. Yeah. And verbally give up. And God, I just got like a really sinking feeling, man. Because right. when you see that and you can see how deteriorated and how the person you love and know is like dissolving within that shell, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, God. And accept it. Ooh. Yeah. And come to that. Like, it's one thing when someone still has that hope or that spirit that maybe next time I'll fix it or yeah. I'll do it again. But coming to that furl, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with this life, right? And I know I battle and I fight and I mm -hmm. have my ups and my downs and my weeks and my months. Mm -hmm. And But like when I think about that or I think about seeing him sit there or all the other people that have lost that battle mm -hmm. years after, I, you know, it is, it's, it's somewhat therapeutic going, wow, I still do this every day. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm still wanting more, you know, like yeah. I have fought hard as. You know, I, I, uh, after that treatment center, I went back out again. And then I really fell. Mm -hmm. After that one, um, I'd almost been clean 10 months. And then I relapsed. And with that time when I relapsed, all bets were off. Mm -hmm. I fell and I just, and at that time I almost gave up. Mm -hmm. There was no why fight anymore? Like I'm like six years into this. I don't see the point anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't see why the struggle, why the building relationships, you know, my mom wants, and it's, it's interesting. We were having an argument and people seem to think that when you're on 
some drugs you don't remember. But a lot of drugs, when you're, when you're even on them, you remember these things, mm. especially these like clear, clear memories. And we were in an argument. She went and got this glass jar from the basement, mm -hmm. like a jam jar, came up into the kitchen. And she held this in front of my face, and she said, this is our relationship. And she grabbed this glass jar, and she smashed it. And I mean, glass shards went everywhere all over the kitchen. And she looks at me. She goes, now you can put it back together. Mm. And still to this day, years and years later, and like my mom will come, and she'll, she'll hang out with me for my birthday here on Monday. And we, you know, we still have our ups and downs, but we're very, very close. But there's a piece of me <laughs> still to this day that sits mm. here. I think that there's a piece of shards somewhere that'll always be missing. Mm. There'll be little shards that'll never quite get it back together. But then sometimes I wonder if those are shards from her side as well. Mm. Right? I don't think I could do... I try. I try mm -hmm. really hard. Um, but I, I fell and then I left Calgary. And... Um, that was when I was dating the the dealer for quite a few years mm -hmm. and I worked in um, a blockbuster great job blockbuster I worked at blockbuster I ran a blockbuster and I loved that job. taking us back <laughs> to those days right yeah. um and I tried and and you know it's funny it's the friend that started with me I went to follow her out there mm. she had moved out there she had had two kids she had gotten her life together. Mm -hmm. She's like, come out and come and stay with me. And I did. And I thought that I could piece it together. That made me leave in Calgary. I'd piece it together. Mm -hmm. And in a year and a half, I moved like four times. And everything just fell apart. And I'll never forget. I um, had signed to go back into treatment because I wasn't working properly. I was starting to actually drop things. I'll never forget the day I was holding a cup and I was shaking. And the gentleman I was dating at the time looked at me and he said, your nerves are going as I was starting to drop things. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to, because I could use like for days and days and days, I was completely broke. He was keeping us afloat at that time. And I was losing my hair. You would have never really seen me in all of this point. Mm -hmm. So I was losing my hair in like clumps and I was starting to feel my teeth and I was shaking all the time and it was getting bad. I was getting very, very sick. And I, um, I decided to drive into Calgary to, to pick up and um, there was a funny popping sound in the tire of the truck that I was driving. And I was saying to God, I was like, something's wrong, but get me home safe, man. Like, mm. Just get me home safe. I got into Calgary, and I was driving back out. And um, as I was going almost 140, 142 on the highway, mm. um, the entire tire, the driver's side tire of my car came off my truck. So bolts, tire, everything came right off the truck on a packed highway. Mm. And I was saying, God, I don't know what to do. And I swear, as I sit here, I don't remember how I got to the side of the highway. I don't know how I didn't hit anybody. It's physiologically almost impossible that I didn't flip. I'm mm -hmm. um, going at that speed with everything. I should have just... And I stopped and I got out of the truck and I watched the tire roll down the ditch towards me. 
And I was sitting there on the side of the highway. I was like, wow, I, I got no way to get home. I'm high. I got more drugs with me. I don't know what to do. And a gentleman pulls over. He goes, I don't know how you're alive. <laughs> He's like, but I just watched that entire thing. Mm-hmm. Do you need a ride home? I said, yes, I do. And he put me in the back of his car and he had a little boy with him. And I'll never forget this man because he was so incredibly kind to me. And he drove me all the way home. And he dropped me off, told me to take care. Um, And that night, my very angry partner took me back out on the highway with another gentleman. And uh, that was the night that I just didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. Right? Like, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to put it quite into words what it's like to be like, I don't... I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live this anymore. I am going to die. I should be dead today. Mm-hmm. There is no reason that I am alive. And I remember sitting, it was like 2.30 in the morning on the side of the highway. And a truck, a, a semi was coming up the, the highway towards me. And I put my hand on the door And I said, I just don't know what to do anymore. And I went to go and jump in front of the semi. And uh, I remember all of a sudden just being on the phone with my dad saying, come get me. I'll be ready in a week, come get me. Mm. And I went home that night. And in not even quite a week, I was packed. I had sold everything that I kind of had left. Mm. And my brother came, and he had cleaned out a couple apartments of mine for me. <laughs> he had seen me in some pretty rough state. <laughs> he was like a mob cleanup guy. <laughs> you were like, I just need to clean up in my apartment. <laughs> God, I love that brother so deeply for some mm. of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those moments that you're so embarrassed you want no one to see. Yeah. And... Um, that loved me through it. And he came and he walked into the apartment. He said, okay, where do we start? And I said, just that corner there. He said, you're all ready, aren't you? I said, yeah. And we packed me up, everything I owned. I had like a couple changes of clothes, my cats, deeply personal things, and I walked. I walked from a beautiful, like it was a beautiful two bedroom apartment, fully furnished. I just walked, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. I was going to die. Whether it be at my own hand or by the drug, I was going to die. And uh, there was no... There was no way around that. And um, so I went back to Landers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) third time in treatment. And I didn't care who my counselor was. I didn't care who my roommates were. I didn't care. Just help me. Mm -hmm. I didn't care how you help me. Just help me. And in the middle of treatment, I almost left. And uh, in in almost treatment, I almost left. And I had a very, very incredible um, moment of awakening, I guess. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how to say it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to put some of these things into words. Because when you say it, it doesn't... It doesn't give it justice for the impact that it can have in a life, Mm -hmm. in a moment, in a time. 
when everything seems dark, when mm -hmm. everything is despairing, and you don't know which way to go. You've tried to go every which way you possibly could go, yeah. and you have failed at it miserably over and over. This is the third time in treatment. This is the n numerous time you've tried to get off the drugs and change yeah. your life. What makes you think you're going to do it this time? Right? What, what makes you think it's even possible to do it again? And I remember standing in the one room and everything, everything was just so dark and I just, it's, to cry out to God in full, like, I don't want this anymore, mm. right? I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it anymore. And if you know me, nature is everything to me. Mm. Um, I love it from the smallest little tiny. <laughs> if you know me, I'm the person that picks up the bumblebee that's upside down. And um, it had been so quiet. We were at the end of October. It had been so quiet. I hadn't seen any nature or anything. And when I cried out to God that day, because that was the day I was going to just, I can't do this this time. And um, I look out my window, and there's uh, this tiny little sparrow sitting in this bush. And everything else stopped in the world. Mm. And I looked at it, and it just kind of cocked its head, and it sat there. And it's like this feeling of complete just calmness settled, and this like... It was almost like a voice, and it was like, you're going to be okay. Hmm. It's okay. What you're feeling is okay. Everything that's happening is going to be okay. And you will be okay. And, my neck, um, sorry. <laughs> no, I just, I have no variance of time. I have no concept either. What time are we on? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Thanks, Darcy. <laughs> Darcy's like, dude, I am not even here right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and from then everything seemed to just get a little bit easier mm. and I don't know how to put that into words I don't know how to some people be like it's crazy you saw a sparrow it's, it's nothing but yet mm -hmm. if you've never lived through that type of darkness and despair and to have a moment like that where everything okay is all of a sudden is like oh I can take a breath mm -hmm. when I haven't breathed in years mm -hmm. and years and years, you know, and it was hard, you know, getting, going through that treatment, completing it, and then going back to school and fighting for schooling and trying to piece together a life, right? Mm -hmm. When you feel like you're behind everybody else, like all the other students that you're going to school mm -hmm. with are 10 years younger than you. And you feel like you're so foreign in the world you're what we're walking in, right? And I faithfully went to NA for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to know an incredible woman, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We know that human. Um, and I... Sometimes the years clean don't seem to amount to the years using. And I don't know how mm -hmm. to explain that I don't know that's interesting yeah that sounds crazy but it's like okay so I can go through all these years of using and all the ups and downs and the struggles and the everything else that happened 
And there's so much more, you know, you could spend hours and hours and hours mm -hmm. going through all the different stories and topics and peoples and the years. But then you get clean and it all just seems to like mm -hmm. <laughs> into this. But then you're like, well, wait a minute. I fought through and I finished a degree in mm -hmm. social and cultural anthropology when everybody around you was telling you you weren't going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I talked to people years later. They're like, oh, Carrie, we had like bets, man. Like months, how many months mm -hmm. you were going to go six months, a year, how long, even my parents, they were like, we kind of just were waiting for how long you were going to last and then disappear again for mm -hmm. us. Right. And so, haha, I proved them all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. Still sitting here. <laughs> Word. All these years later. Um, but feeling completely alone. And I know we had talked about times where I would just walk, just walk because mm -hmm. I had nowhere to go. I had no, I felt like there was nothing. I was just doing the motions, mm -hmm. go to school, go to counseling, go to meetings, and just go forward. Mm -hmm. That's all you got to do is just keep going forward. Yeah. And yet still to this day, there's parts of me that's like, okay, you just got to keep going forward. You just mm -hmm. got to do one more course, one more month, one more year. And mm -hmm. But that's one of those things that never changes. No, I don't. We always have to just keep moving forward, move forward. Always going forward. Whatever that looks like, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I work, you know, I went, um, I work with my family, um, which is a very interesting dynamic. Like on mm -hmm. one side, I'm very close to them because of it. On the other, I don't think anybody realizes how hard it is to work in a family business until mm -hmm. you actually work in a family business. Yeah. Um, because you don't get in a detachment. You don't get a break. Mm -hmm. You don't get a walk away, right? Well, and it's your family. You, it's my you get family. mad. You can't just say, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you can, but then if you really care about your family, you're not going to have them for long. So, I think one of the hardest things in like being clean and in sobriety, though, is learning how to have relationships mm -hmm. and not let the relationships destroy you when they don't work the way that you want them to work. Mm -hmm. um, or the people that come in or out of your life, how yeah. to learn to forgive in relationships. How mm -hmm. do you go forward? Um, and those deeps, ups and downs, right? Mm -hmm. Like years like I think it was year three I was like I really want to go back into treatment like mm -hmm. I really want to go back into treatment and yeah. try and figure out now that I have some like clean time and some perspective mm -hmm. all the things they were trying to teach you how to have in relationships to actually yeah. like do that and that's when about three four years in is when I started struggling with the eating disorder right mm -hmm. and so I can see it now and what's interesting is that when I went into that program how they taught it so much kinder and gentler and when they work with cbt or dbt mm -hmm. dialectical behavior and they really take in those like emotions behaviors thoughts and how mm -hmm. to work with them in conjunction yeah helped me in so many ways and i know a lot of the women really struggled because i kind of got in the program i did the program and i got out mm -hmm. and a lot of them were years and years and years in the ed programs but the psychologist was like but Carry one, you've been in treatment many a time. So this is just building on a whole bunch of tools you already had. Mm -hmm. um, but it really gave me some clarity of self. Like doing a self-esteem course was hard. And I still sit here today um, struggling with, mm -hmm. you know, my body, my body image issues. And, well, and talking, talking about the things we do for treatment doesn't mean we're perfect now. No. <laughs> right? Like, we're, like those are treatment things for a reason, right? And I think it'll be forever. And yeah. coming to that... I think it's one of the hardest things is coming when you do deal with mental health issues is coming to that 
Oh, okay. I will have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Yeah, we very well, very well might have to. So how yeah. do we deal with it? How do we mm. do it with a smile on our face? How do we bring joy in our life? How do we manage in the healthiest ways and the possible mm. ways? And also learn to communicate with others because I think loving us is one of the hardest things to do for other people. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't know how to communicate those ups and those downs and go, I am just, I'm dealing with my mind right mm -hmm. now, has nothing to do with you, Well, but I'm in this battle. Exactly. And the other part of that is that we don't know how to love ourselves. Mm -mm. So how can we receive love from somebody else? Because we're still, sometimes, mm -hmm. especially when we're new, right? Like we're coming out of a place where there was not a lot of love. No. Right? And so for us, for others, like... It's a, that's a whole other ball game, right? Like learning how to receive love and give in a healthier way, yeah. right? I think learning to, like for myself, I think one of the hardest things, one of the first hardest steps was learning to like myself. Mm -hmm. Just to come to an acceptance that I am in this skin. I am me. Mm -hmm. I am quirky. I'm an animal lover. I'm a total out-of-the-box thinker. Mm -hmm. I am all these things, and it's okay to be those things. Mm -hmm. Right? Even all those things that people said were bad necessarily aren't bad, mm -hmm. right? Um, being curvy or, you know, having my own thoughts and my own feelings mm -hmm. and being, when you get to know me, being a talker, right? Like, I'm a really introverted person until you get to know me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think how many years have you been doing this? And it's the first time you could get me to like. <laughs> yeah. We're almost done year three, I think. We'll be, we'll be in, moving into year four in September. Yeah. And I say that like it's around the corner because it's just around the corner. Literally. <laughs> It'll be here in no time. <laughs> yeah. Along um, with year three of our quarantine. Oh, God. <laughs> Never ending. I just yeah. want the pools to open. Yeah, no shit. It, it was, well, it, it's one of those interesting conversations that I've said if you do create these healthy behaviors and those things that help us mm -hmm. as people that struggle, um, when they get taken from us, what do we do? How mm -hmm. do we rebalance? How do we regroup? Um, and how do you re teach yourself through all of the different life mm -hmm. things. If you haven't dealt with death, one of my biggest reservations was death. Mm -hmm. Still in many ways is today, but how do you, until you experience those things or you yeah. go through those things, how do you know you're going to get through them? Mm -hmm. Or how do you even know to get through them? I was at this professors in the pubs um, conversation and it's taken me until this time now coming to the end of a second degree to feel comfortable to go into those situations mm -hmm. where I feel part of right yeah. and i'm not on this always this outside mm -hmm. of everybody else that i actually can be in the middle of these people mm -hmm. and carry a conversation and carry these types of things and we were talking about mourning and grieving and this idea that it should be on this time limit mm -hmm. and it really opened my mind when the professor was talking about grief comes in cycles and mourning mm -hmm. comes in cycles and I really think when you deal with mental health, when you deal with big things like traumatic events in your mm -hmm. life or traumas, it's very similar where it's very like, sometimes you can cope really, really well with it mm -hmm. and it feels all okay. And then a certain memory happens or a certain event happens and it triggers and you then kind of almost, it brings all this back up to the surface mm -hmm. and you then have to redeal with it. You really have to deal with the mourning of it and the grieving process again. And sometimes it'll be like shorter and shorter and shorter, but there'll be times throughout your entire life mm -hmm. that these things will resurface, you'll have to deal with, and they kind of go back. Mm -hmm. And I think in many ways an addiction and a, and a hard addiction um, 
is like that. Mm -hmm. I think in ways you almost have to grieve and mourn it and also mm -hmm. accept it as part of your life and that it will be part of who yeah. you are. And moving forward, part of what you, some, some of the things you have to do in your day-to-day -day life will be directly related to that mm -hmm. in terms of treating it. If, yeah. Or either treating it or feeding it, one of the two. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly, right? And, and taking care of yourself and doing those small self-care things mm -hmm. that make everything else at the hard times seem not so hard, Yeah, right? And, and learning those little patterns, like my dog is, is huge for me. And we've talked about that. My mm -hmm. animals, I don't do it without them. Um, mm -hmm. Having that emotional release. Mm -hmm. Like Katie, I, I can have the worst day possible, take her to the park, and she puts a smile on my face, mm -hmm. right? And, and knowing that that's a big piece of my self-care, right? Yeah. And that keeps me healthy and that keeps me balanced mm -hmm. as best as I can, right? Um, but I think learning those things is hard. Yeah. Right? I think... In many ways, is, it's going to sound, I don't know. In many ways, being an addict in some ways is easy. Being a clean addict mm -hmm. in some ways is very, very hard. Very hard, yeah. Right? And coming to that recognition of it. And it also not being your um, identity, which I have found. Mm -hmm. One of the hardest things in talking about the NA program and this idea of like, hi, my name's Carrie, I'm an addict. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend about that, of where you can kind of stop draping that entire umbrella over who you are mm -hmm. and let all the other factors of who you are. I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, I'm mm -hmm. a friend. Um, I've, you know, I'm all these other things. Yeah. And struggling with an addiction is only one part mm -hmm. of everything else that I am and taking away that like label. Yeah. <laughs> Big like, sticker on your mm -hmm. forehead, you know, that this is who I am. Because there's way more to us than that, right? By like, far. We're way more complicated than that. I know that what people want when we sober up, and I'm sure I wanted it too, was an easy answer, right? Mm -hmm. was a very simple, easy answer. And in that time, the easiest answer was, I am an addict. Mm -hmm. I am an alcoholic, right? Like, um, and it's still the easy answer. Don't get me wrong. But we can move through that label, I think, without shedding the label. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we can move through it and incorporate it into what we yeah. are. Right. Because the truth is, whether we're an addict or non-addict, we're still a complicated human. Mm -hmm. We have complicated emotions. Um, you and I are both addicts, but we don't have the same background. Nowhere near. Right. So yeah. the, the truth of the matter is, is that it takes all kinds, Matt. Mm -hmm. Just like it's going to take all kinds of things to keep us healing. Yeah. I guess I'll call it that. Recovering, healing, whatever you want to word it. Right. Like, and, I, and I very much look at it as a healing thing, mm -hmm. right? What makes me heal inside as a person and what makes me feel content inside, mm -hmm. right? What brings me those peace, those moments of peace and those times and, and how do you persevere, right? Like when the world in many ways is set against you, mm -hmm. right? Um, even yourself, you're set against yourself. Mm -hmm. How do you persevere through, through it all, right? And you know, like we were talking, this last degree for me has been really hard, mm -hmm. like continually going through and like, okay, I can finish this. And where does this go? And even that question of where do I go after this? What's that next mm -hmm. chapter? Right. And, and knowing that at least that there might be a next chapter, that there is a next chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, we never know what tomorrow will be. Right. Um, and, and looking forward and trying to stay positive in it all. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and still struggle with those those dark moments and those mm -hmm. dark times, right? But 
try and go forward and and um, find your way. Mm-hmm. I guess whatever way that is, or that path, mm-hmm. or that journey, right? Knowing that it might be a little different from someone else's. It might have some similarities, but it also your treatment might be different, just like your past was different. And I think accepting maybe that it won't be the way that you also, mm-hmm. for myself, think it was, right? Yeah. And this idea that I thought my life would be one way. Mm-hmm. And I thought when I got clean, and for anybody that's years in may understand this, that you think you may get somewhere so fast, mm-hmm. right? And I watched other people have families and find partners and mm-hmm. get these careers, and I'm sitting there like, well, when is it my turn? <laughs> right? mm-hmm. and, that, and that feeling and that thought of, well, when is it my turn? And coming to acceptance or grieving some of those things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've deeply grieved not having a family. Mm-hmm. I've had to go through that morning and come to the other side and go, okay, well, there's a different future for me. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, coming to that understanding and letting go of those plans that we have or those ideas what our lives are mm-hmm. supposed to be. And I think when you, when you change your life from something like an addiction into recovery or into a healing process, you have all these, like, great ideas and these, like... It's going to be all this. Because we have incredible expectations. Incredible high mm-hmm. expectations, right? And then as the years pass by <laughs> and those expectations aren't met, mm-hmm. it can be very discouraging, right? And having to, okay, well, this plan didn't work, so we're just going to alter this and we're going to go down this path and see where this path takes mm-hmm. us and trying to find that way, right? Yeah. And I think that's some of the hardest parts of that healing process. 100%, especially if you want to, if you want to have a different new life Mm -hmm. it's going to be new that means we're not going to know what it is right and that was one of the hardest adjustments that i think i had to make too like in early recovery was oh shit like this is not (laughs) going to be what i'm thinking it's going to be right this is going to be whatever the hell it's going to be and i just need to heal enough that i can handle that whatever it looks like right and and i think that gets the expectation out of the way those high expectations, right? Like, oh, I want to have my set career by five years and I want to have this by 10 years and right. Or by six or whatever the time frame is. And then realizing that at five years in, I could barely get my head out of my ass, like barely to see the sunshine, right? Like how could I have expected to have all these wonderful things that I had in my mind when I could barely get my head out of my ass. Right. And That was my experience in my first few years because I kept my head in my ass, securely fashioned, because I didn't want to change. (laughs) I didn't want to drink and I didn't want to use, but I didn't want to change, right? And you encountered me when I was still fighting with the changing, right? I wasn't drinking or using, but I was still fighting with the change. Mm -hmm. Very much. With the maturing and the letting go of those old ideas that were, in my case, probably like most people's cases, were keeping me sick, those old ideas, right? Keeping me sick in that, that uh, what do they call it, the cyclone, I guess, just going around and around and around, you know? But, like, even our roller coaster has been interesting, though, right? Like Super interesting. Like, to watch two people heal and come in and out of each other's lives as they mm-hmm. heal in different ways and grow in different ways, mm-hmm. even from... You know, from from where you were in yours to my complete level of loneliness and desire, right? Mm -hmm. And, but yet, I think in ways, like even, I think especially for me, the most healing part of our relationship, as hard as it was for you, is many times when you had your back surgery, Mm -hmm. right? Because then our friendship shifted. Mm -hmm. 
right? And became much deeper, yeah. Much deeper. Much deeper, yeah. Right? And it became a lot more what I would call intimate. And my mm -hmm. dad always said to me, like, if you take sex out of intimacy, he always says it's into me see. Mm -hmm. And it's in those moments when you actually get to see somebody is yeah. in those intimate moments and where intimacy can come from, mm -hmm. right? And those quiet moments of just sitting, right? Mm -hmm. Where there doesn't need to be conversation, there doesn't need to be plans mm -hmm. or doing those care things, right? And it, it very much did shift in a very different yeah. level. And even accepting where different people are in their journey mm -hmm. as you go through it, right? And I think yeah. that's where friendship and depth of a friendship comes, is when you can watch another person. Yeah. And you can kind of love them through and those shifts and those mm -hmm. changes. And also let them go. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the many different songs, but I think there's that kind of that truth of like, when you can let something go is almost mm -hmm. when you truly know that, one, you love them, mm -hmm. but you know what's right for them or what's right for you and letting them go at that time yeah. really becomes the important aspect of it yeah. that gives you both freedom. Yeah, that's right. The ability to let, to let go allows both all people involved to be freer mm -hmm. if they're to come back around again, exactly. right? And then, I mean, that's the thing, right? One of the things in recovery that has been so cool is some of the people I've been able to stay friends with, like mm -hmm. despite circumstances, despite all kinds of stuff, just being able to stay friends because it's not so much about, we, we, I don't know whether it's just me or whatever, but in my, for my instance, being able to simply accept other people wherever they are, mm -hmm. even if they've done something to me, like I, I'm okay with that, right? Like at this time, because the reality is I've done stuff to people, right? And <laughs> I, I'm no, I don't have a, the market cornered on perfection yet in terms of how I do interpersonal relationships, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's always gonna be where I fuck up, right? Is gonna be making mistakes like that. But the truth is, regardless of the mistakes, recovery's still here mm -hmm. and people who are able to handle that, like other humans making mistakes, which is fucking all of us, <laughs> right? Like, when, until we get in that mindset where, no, it's <laughs> you're, you're the fucking mistake maker, right? You're, you're the sinner. I'm, I don't sin like that. Therefore I am not a sinner, yeah. you know, um, which level of sin are you talking about here? Yeah, precisely. Right. <laughs> we have this conversation. Yeah. There's seven la layers of sin, <clears throat> seven, seven <laughs> layers of hell, the seven circles of hell, the seven circles of sin. And, and the truth is like, we don't all sin the same, but we all sin. If you want to use that word, yeah. I don't use that word in my day-to-day -day life because I don't believe that's what it is. I just believe that it's like humans making mistakes, hurting each other. Is it, is it the sign of a devil? I doubt it. Is it the sign of... I, I, but I don't know. I, there's an unseen world that I don't claim to understand. Shit, I barely <laughs> understand this one. <laughs> if I even understand it. Yeah. Well, you know, I had this conversation with somebody about what is bad. And they were, you know, they were really concerned because they had stolen some gummies from like, you know, when they used to get the five cents and they would get a couple extra. And oh, like, well, yeah. Does that make me a bad person? I was like, you know, I think a lot more has to do with one, a little bit more intent to the thought process. Mm -hmm. I said, but I don't think it's that easy. I don't think like who makes that decision of what's right or what's wrong. You know, that person stealing that food to feed their family, mm -hmm. you may, they're, they're committing an illegal act, mm -hmm. but why are they doing it? Mm -hmm. And so I think they're, and, and what situations that they're in and those choices. Mm -hmm. And, 
I think humans, if you really, if we give each other a little bit more of a break sometimes mm -hmm. and understanding that you don't know what someone's walked through, right? Yeah. And most of the people that know me today would actually not know anything about my story that mm -hmm. I say today. Very few people do know it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I applied for an honors this week, which was super exciting. But even then I had to like the other professor that I was going to be asking is the same age as me. But yet I couldn't possibly bring myself to ask her because of my feelings of inf inferiority. Mm -hmm. It's one thing for the supervisor to be ahead of me, to be older than me. Yeah. Because then I feel okay. All right, mm -hmm. we're still in this right yeah. like positions, right? But yet the professor that was the same age as me, even though I like she's such a lovely lady and I know her, but because she's the same age as me, I feel inferior because she has a PhD and she's mm. tenured in a full-time position. And here I am trying to scrape together a second, a second bachelor's, right? Mm. To get ahead on a path that I still have yet to quite figure out which way I'm going. Mm. But we do know that Carrie will somewhere figure it out with animals. More will be revealed, I bet. Pardon? More will be revealed. Yeah. 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 Like everything else, right? It kind of unravels <laughs> the way it's supposed to. Yeah. It's coming yeah. to the end, though. At least I'm, yeah. like, I'm making it there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, and I think that's a lot of it is just trying to see to that future mm -hmm. and see that there is more, no matter how dark some days are. Yeah. And no, how, no matter how long it takes, man, you just, if you're on the path anyway, just keep on going. What's the fucking point of getting <laughs> off? Right? Like, I mean, especially if you, if you're able to make it to a path that is a healthier path from one that was destructive, yeah. this path might be long and it might be painful, but it's not going to be the same kind of painful. Right? No. Because, I mean, if, especially if we can just dig into the healing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I get it. It doesn't mean it's going to be fucking roses all the time because it's a long road mm -hmm. and it goes uphill, downhill, left, right, around in circles. Like, there's all kinds of road on this path, right? So, I think that's life, though. Like, I think I, that's exactly what it is. I, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think it's just us <laughs> that, that, you know, like. Precisely. We, per, us. Yeah. Um, but I think that really is that coming to that reality of that this is life, mm -hmm. that life has challenges, life has ups and downs and curves and what you may think it all is and you might think it's all like, mm -hmm. okay, I got it all together. It's all working. And then all of a sudden it's like a ball <laughs> left field comes and like shatters your perfect little pretty like glass mm -hmm. house you've just built that everything was in the right way and everything mm -hmm. was together and you have to repick it back up, right? Yeah. And it's it's learning to be able to, as much as in that moment of devastation, mm -hmm. be able to put it back together and go, okay, yeah. it's not as bad, and I can go forward, and I can survive through this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all it needs to be, is that I can survive this. Yeah. I just need to get through this. Tomorrow will be better, mm -hmm. right? Tomorrow's a new day. I can do that tomorrow, right? One day at a time. One moment. One moment. There has been a many mm -hmm. a times where, and it's funny because in, in the rooms when they talk about those sayings, right? There's, there's a couple that still after years and years, it's been many years that I've been in the rooms now. Um, but I did seek outside help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I wanted to, to say or touch on is that I eventually met an incredible psychologist mm -hmm. and counselor and she helped me profusely mm -hmm. um, externally dealing with me, yeah. right? Because in years of being clean, it wasn't about the drugs anymore. Mm -hmm. It was about me. It yeah. was about my childhood. It was about my experiences. Mm -hmm. It was about all those things that actually... Sorry, I'm just looking at him. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, I know it's. I know it's okay. Go. You're good. Um, but it is. It's. Uh, you totally threw me off. I'm sorry. I was trying not to by doing this to him and not you. Like, but you <laughs> saw it, so it's like I'm a terrible second base coach. Hey, hey, hey. I know you have somebody coming at six. I know that. Yeah. So, but and I know that you guys are probably. I can't no, no. I've even talked for that long. This is. You're not doing anything wrong. This is perfect. This is exactly what we hope for. I mean, honestly, what we hope for is the longer, it's the conversation where you can just talk. So you were talking about outside help and you went to a psychologist. And she helped me with me. She mm -hmm. helped me trying to pin together those core beliefs that I struggled with, those mm -hmm. deep, deep things that I find when you're in treatment programs and a lot of the beginning, the first few years, you're mm -hmm. just dealing with all of the destruction you've just lived through right mm -hmm. piecing it all together and you don't work into those years then and when you're trying to actually those lonely times where you're dealing with yourself mm -hmm. you've kind of healed all your relationships everybody's happy with you you've got that you're going forward you got money in the bank mm -hmm. you got all your responsibilities but yet you still feel wrong mm -hmm. inside and um going to that outside help is what really really helped me mm -hmm. and finding that fit I had had a couple different counselors and a couple different people. But when I found her and she could almost read me better than I knew myself and she could pick things mm -hmm. and she'd make me show, like she never let me be the victim to it, right? Mm -hmm. She would always go, where's your side of it, Carrier? Where's your part or how do you think this through? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the greatest things she gave me in tools is still to this day. And one day I, she will come back in my life. I really believe that. Um, I'll sit and have that conversation where she would take me back. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, okay, what would she, where would she take me on that path of that thought process to get me back around? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a key in many ways mm -hmm. of where you start to learn health and where you start to actually work within yourself. Mm -hmm. And she was a very key player. And I will, I gotta send out thanks to that person mm -hmm. because she helped me in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I will forever be grateful for her help. And right as I say, many a day I go back in my mind and I take myself back through a conversation with mm -hmm. her and how she would walk through things and talk to me about things. And, and I'm very grateful for those people and those guides, right? And, yeah. and the people that have impacted my life. Right? Mm -hmm. I keep my life pretty isolated, you know that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a lot, but I have, been, I have been truly blessed with people that I believe are guides in my life mm -hmm. and mentors in my life that have come in. Thank you, right? <laughs> Walk into a random church and there you are on a day where I'm falling apart. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite that an interesting is. day, actually. It yeah. was an interesting day. Yeah, I bet it was different for you than it was for me, but... I bet it was, yeah. right? And it's it's funny because, and I don't even know if you would know this, and I know we're totally going out of time, but uh, I, for weeks, had been watching you because tattoos are one of my worst weaknesses when it comes to men, and it generally gets me in trouble. Mm. But... Um, that day when I my tattoos me. always got me in trouble, <laughs> especially with the ladies. <laughs> Mind you, it wasn't just the tattoos; it was everything else that happens with, with this you? package, <laughs> this this package of humanness. <laughs> and I say that with all due respect to myself and my humanness. <laughs> Sorry, so so I was about to get you in trouble. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting how, you know, it was the last weekend that I actually ended up seeing the gentleman I was dating at the time because mm. he completely disappeared. Like, 
I'll see you next week and I love you and poof, gone. I don't know how you do that mm. to people after two years, but people do do it. And I just chop Using up. drugs helps. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. yeah, that whole entire world helps mm -hmm. to it all. I remember I was sitting in a lecture and because I was back at UFC, I was trying to pin. People don't realize that you actually only have 10 years to do a degree from beginning to end mm. or you start losing your courses. Yeah. So when I cleaned up, I was like, I got like two years to get this degree together. Yeah. And so that's why I ended up walking away from sciences because I just couldn't handle the load mm -hmm. while I was trying to get clean mm -hmm. and, and handle everything. So yeah. that's how I ended up in anthropology. Um, but I was sitting in a lecture and I was feeling completely broken and I didn't know what to do with myself. Like all I wanted to do was to, to just not feel, to mm -hmm. just not think. But I knew I didn't want to use the drugs because then I was going to be in a whole heap load of other things mm -hmm. that I couldn't deal with at the time. But I didn't, I had nowhere to go. I had nothing. I had nothing. And I remember sitting on the train. I left UFC in the middle of like this 300 people lecture. I got in, out in front of everybody. I just needed, out. Mm -hmm. I felt trapped, but yet nowhere. And I was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. And I was coming past the bay and I was like, well, maybe I'll just go sit in the church. Mm -hmm. Hence, the last time I felt completely lost, I found a church mm -hmm. and I was taken care of. So that is when I walked up to the back of the church because mm -hmm. the front doors were locked at the time. And you were there with the lady you were dating at the time, the redheaded girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I remember of her. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, her and I, we were on again, off again for like five years. So, yeah. 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 Five or six years. And I remember you. I was so good at relationships. That's why <laughs> I was just such a good relationship guy. <laughs> yeah. That's why it took six years. We were still off and on and never stayed on. <laughs> Sorry. So I was out back with the lady. Well, I had just, the door had just opened and I was kind of sneaking in and you were standing there and I was bawling and you're like, Oh, you're like, um, I'm like, is there somewhere that I can just go and like sit? That's all I wanted mm -hmm. was just a quiet, safe place that I could just be. Mm. And you took me back into this like little maze and you put me in the corner of this little room and you just left me there. And I was crying and you came back after a while and you're like, so I'm doing this workshop this weekend. Mm -hmm. Did you want to stay? And I remember thinking, I was like, I have no money. I'm like, I got nothing. And I remember looking at you and saying, I don't have anything. I don't have any money. And you're like, I don't care. Mm. And I remember spending that weekend in that workshop with you, feeling completely out of place, but yet at the same time, feeling like I was taken care of for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have to be. And it was interesting that you came into my life on the exact same weekend that Jay left my life. Mm -hmm. Completely, right? Never spoken to him since, never seen him since. Wow. Um, Timing is everything, eh? Literally. But it that's appears that the universe day... has shit figured out. It <laughs> appears. The universe might know what it's doing. I'm just going to throw that out there. Just might. Yeah. Just might. But that's how that day came mm -hmm. to be. And, and then, well, we're, God, we're a whole other podcast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, it's been a wicked, it's been a wicked 10 years, though. It's been fun. It has. It it's has. been fun and hard, but it's been fun. It has. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, awesome getting to know you. So. <laughs> You're a dope human, man. I think that like people probably miss out because of the the intro introversion, right? Mm -hmm. Being introverted. But I, people probably might say that about me too. 
except lately because I talk so fucking much, <laughs> right? Like now they can't get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> they're stuck with you? Yeah. They're like, Dave, you did, you do podcasts and you're doing the live stream. I had a copper text me and go, you're fucking everywhere. I don't want to hear your voice anymore. Yeah. So I was like, I said, well, I don't know if you have any say in that. So you're just going to have to listen. Just keep listening to me because I'm talking. <laughs> it's such a strange world, man. It is a weird world. I don't think, unless you've ever gone walking with you, I don't think anybody would understand. Like I've gotten yeah. used to it now over the years mm -hmm. of us walking together. But like walking with you is like every random like, oh, hey, Dave. Oh, hey. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, hi, how's it going? And you know what? I've just learned to take it with stride. I don't even like actually pay attention anymore. Mm -hmm. I just continue the conversation or continue where we're at because yeah. it is such a consistent, because you are, especially in this city. Everybody kind of knows you in that world. And it's been a long, it's been a few years, right? And, and I, I love saying hi to people. Like, yeah. I think it's something that people don't quite understand because they look at me weird when they don't know me and I'm saying hi. <laughs> so like, it's kind of like, I just got used to it because I want to have that relationship with people. Because when I was drinking and using, I did not want to have that relationship with people. Like, I would go out of my way to avoid someone on the street. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm happy to walk by and wave. And, <laughs> and like, sometimes when I'm walking with clients or whatever, and we're doing that because that's a really good way to get to know people, right? Mm -hmm. Walking and talking, because you're not even paying attention, you're just talking, yeah. right? And trying not to step on other people. <laughs> Um, so I always appreciate that and uh, I'm grateful that people reach out and say hi, yeah. you know, like when they, when they see me, cause that's, that means a lot to me, right? Because I was not that person. Mm. I wasn't the person that people wanted to talk to you really. Like I was hard to be around for long periods of time. I mean, don't get me wrong. You probably experienced me being hard to be around at different times, but it wasn't <laughs> as often as mm -hmm. when, before I quit drinking, like, and even the first few years of my sobriety was tenuous at best when it came to that yeah. you know i i acted like a feral cat basically right <laughs> like oh you're gonna pet my chin for a minute and then you're gonna feed me a little bit okay i can hang out with you and then <laughs> ah! and then bite your bite your hand when you go to pet me one too many times like yeah my god how dare you touch my head ah! <laughs> have you looked at floyd yeah totally yeah and i he was my constant reminder when i got him because some people that I know, when they would come and visit me or whatever, especially with my back, when I went through all the back surgeries, they would come over and they would comment on how much Floyd was like me. Like, oh. they'd be like, well, you let me come over for an hour. And I'm like, yeah, because after an hour, I want you fucking gone. Like, the just like Floyd. The thing with right? you, right? Yeah. If you know you any longer, <laughs> like, you know there's like shifts. But like, it's like, you don't even have to look at a clock. Nope. David knows exactly when it's like 59 minutes and it's time to and go. I'm like, it's time to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, I have a feeling that comes from having one hour sessions for a long time yeah. with people like, you know, and you just get in the habit of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Time's up. And then it's like, wait a minute. This is not a, this is my friend. I'm at their place for supper or they're here for, to hang out. <laughs> right. Like how can you watch a movie in an hour, Dave? I don't know, but get the fuck out. <laughs> there was just this little weird voice in my head like for the longest time that said you the more time you spend with people the more chances they could have to get to know you and that was something in even my early sobriety i did not want right like even i i, I will wager a guess almost up to 10 years of sobriety where i did not want people getting to know me 
not really me, right? Like, and I can understand that, though. I think we really keep ourselves quite blocked off, though. Like, yeah. these walls. And it was interesting with you specifically. It always felt like I'd gain an inch, and then, like, I would, like, get, like, this much closer to yeah. you. And then you could almost see it in a realization of you, like, mm. oh, she's getting close to me. Six so inches I'm back. I'm going to push you. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. As far away as possible. Yeah. And then I'll let you in again mm -hmm. in like little bits and you'll get that one extra foot then that I'm going to push you away again. Mm -hmm. And that totally is a protective mechanism, right? But I can even, even in myself, like as I, as I was saying, like it's taken a long time for us to mm -hmm. get to know each other. But in my life, like unless you take the time to really get to know mm -hmm. me and I'm not one that reaches out a lot anymore because I spent so many years being the one, always being the one dealing with the friendship yeah. and always going to people and always taking mm -hmm. and always... But finally, I was like, I, I, I got nothing left, mm -hmm. right? And so anymore, if, if, if a friendship isn't very much back and forth for me, yeah. I don't put in the 100% effort mm -hmm. anymore because I've just lost it. And, and that sounds hard. That's healing, though. But it takes a long time for people to get into my bubble mm -hmm. and, like, hear me laugh or hear me joke mm -hmm. because for so many years I was told not to be, yeah. right? And then when you do get clean and you get into the healing side of things, I think it takes so long for us to even get to know who we are. Oh, for sure. Right? To where we yeah. can start letting people in and see those kind of imperfections mm -hmm. or those insecurities and those quirks and all those, you know, things that we think are so wrong with us. Yeah. And they're not wrong. They're just part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to love those things, right? Like, yeah. I'm an animal lover. Hands down, every type, if it's scaly, even better, I like, mm -hmm. and some people don't understand that, but I will always be that, mm -hmm. and it'll be a big passion for me, right, yeah. all my life. Right? But I think it is. I think I think it takes a long time for us to get to know each other ourselves mm -hmm. if we want to. Yeah, I think and we many, have to work at it. Yeah, I think many never do. I yeah. think they just live it. They just white knuckle it every day, and they actually. And I think it comes to the healing when you actually get to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. spend those quiet moments and be okay in those quiet moments with mm -hmm. yourself. That is when the true healing and that like some level of contentment mm -hmm. comes into. Well, yeah, when we can accept ourselves and love ourselves, man, like the light that comes out of us is incredible, mm -hmm. right? The light we produce when we're when we're able to just accept us for whoever we are, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter, and being able to share that with people, even if it's just by being around them, right? Yeah. Like. Um, sharing that stuff. So we are coming to the end here. We have to close it down. Is there anything that you would like to say that maybe somebody that you would have, that you would say to someone who's stuck in the dark and they don't even know what they need to hear? Something that maybe you could have, would have benefited from hearing had those three nuns not been in that church saying the <laughs> Hail Marys? Praying the rosary. Praying the, pray the, the rosary. I don't even know what to call it. That's how out of the loop I am. <laughs> That's how much it sounds like voodoo to me. Praying the rosary. Yeah. Um, one of the most misunderstood Catholic prayers, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say. Um, so cliche, but that tomorrow is new. Mm. Right? And that, you know, today may suck, but something may happen tomorrow. Mm. Um, and not to give up on that tomorrow, yeah. I guess, as, as dark as it is. And I know that. Again, we've talked, there's many days where tomorrows are hard enough mm -hmm. to even face that tomorrow is a new day. But generally, the light will eventually shine. Mm -hmm. like there's, and sometimes it's the smallest 
little glimmer. Don't pay attention mm-hmm. to the big things. Pay attention to the very small, unseen things mm-hmm. because they are the things that will matter. Yeah. Right? Like the robin? Was it a robin? It's a sparrow. Sparrow. My like sparrow. the sparrow. Yeah. Like my sparrow. Right? And mm-hmm. that, I still love them. I feed them. I got them tattooed on me mm-hmm. um, because they are that glimmer, that moment, right? Mm-hmm. That everything may just have that moment of clarity, but that moment can carry you through so many other moments mm-hmm. um, that will add up and to amount to so much more and that there is more and you're worth it. Mm-hmm. You are worth it no matter what. 